This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. So we want to welcome you to 3 by 10 Sunday and, and, and once again being part of a, an equipping church. And, and that's part of the, the, the vision here at Harvest that they, we would equip uh, the, the men and women. Uh, once again, not everyone's called to the fivefold ministry. There are numerous gifts in the Bible and Romans and Corinthians talks about it. You know, there's gifts of hospitality and serving and, and worship ministry. And so, so but we, we just, we want to hear what God is doing in the lives of people. And so uh, these are people that are members of the church and faithful. And, and so, so here's the thing. Uh, after, once the timer starts, after 10 minutes, sound people, they're going to hear a little bell. Thank you. And that signals that they are done. They don't drop the mic. They just pass the mic. Amen. And so I want us all to encourage them. And as you would want to be encouraged up here. Amen. So that means you give them the big amen. Someone shout amen. amen. We do that here. And we shout hallelujah. That's okay. It's in the Bible. And we clap our hands and, and rejoice with that. Amen. So with all that, please welcome Noah Parody as he comes. Hola. Um, so my name's Noah. I've been coming to this church for like 15 years. So there's a lot of stuff I could say about my church. I thought about saying a lot of stuff about my church. Um, but I kind of realized that at like the core of each of those different things I was going to talk about was just like God's love and how his love had been reflected to me through this church. So that's what I'm going to talk about. Um, I feel like it was really well summarized by this pastor named Christian. He teaches in Seattle. Uh, he said, uh, when we come to church... We shouldn't, uh, you know, come in with hopes of saying, that's such good worship, or like, that's such good preaching. We should come to church and say, that's a good God. And so I think that's what I see here. Um, you know, it's not about like the messages we preach or the songs we sing. It's about the God we serve. Um, so that's what I think about here. And that's not to say like the preaching or worship are bad. I feel like the bass player here is actually really good. <laughs> he, he does an awesome job. Um, I just mean that the reflection of this church is like so centered around God's love. Um, I think reflecting God's love, his heart, is like the most important thing you can do as the church body. And uh, in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six through thirteen three, it says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and are different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? <clears throat> do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So basically, when I read this, I hear like Paul saying, like, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do in the church. Everyone has unique talents and gifts and stuff. But regardless of what that is, regardless of what you do for God, if you don't have love at the center of it, it's valueless. So, you know, this whole church body can function as it should, but without love, it's just worthless. Um, And so, I don't mean, like, those gifts are bad. Like, if you have a day where you don't feel loving, you're just like, sweet, I don't, you know, have to do the things God told me to do now. Um, But it just emphasizes that we need to have God's love at the center of it. And so... If you notice, verse 26 didn't really fit, I didn't think, but I wanted to reference it because that verse specifically in like all of the Bible is what sticks out to me about this church. You know, you suffer with those who suffer. And uh, um, usually that's called compassion is what I've heard it called. And I think this church is really good at it. Um, Henry uh, Nowen said uh, of compassion in his book, The Way of the Heart, Compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to the place where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken. <clears throat> but this is not our spontaneous response to suffering. What we desire most to do, uh, what we desire most, is to do away with suffering by fleeing from it or finding a quick cure for it. As busy, active, relevant ministers, we want to earn our bread by making a real contribution. This means first and foremost doing something to show that our presence makes a difference. And so we ignore our greatest gift, which is the ability to enter into solidarity with those who suffer. And so I think that's really important because that's what uh, Jesus' heart is. He's abundantly compassionate. He's, you know, his heart is broken for us. He's vulnerable. Uh, He's loving. Uh, When Jesus talks about his heart, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And when, you know, he comes back and meets his disciples after he's risen, when they question his identity, he doesn't like flex his like divine muscles. He bears his wounds um, because divinity didn't protect him from heartbreak. Um, (laughs) When I was 16, my father committed suicide, and it sucked, as you would imagine. Um, And there have been a ton of ways that that pain has affected me, you know, a a lot of ways that I felt that. You know, like, not having him to be there to, like, be proud of me or, like, you know, seeing the pain it caused in everybody around me, um, it was difficult. You know, I've never felt a greater pain than that. But I want to tell you something that God has told me through that, that he will not give you a life that makes him unnecessary. He'll give you a life that makes him undeniable. Because through that, like, seemingly unending pain, his goodness has been made undeniable to me. Uh, You know, it was done through, largely through this church. You know, here's where I found consistency and hope and love. Uh, An example, the other day, we were at the women's worship night. Uh, I was playing bass, and God said something to me. <laughs> he said, I'm not very good at playing bass, or discipleship, or public speaking, or making jokes, or loving people. I do all those things really poorly. Um, <laughs> but only through God's goodness do I achieve anything of value. Um, and there is one thing I'm good at. One thing God told me I'm good at is being loved by him. I'm really good at it, actually. Like, day in and day out, I'm, like, shooting three-pointers on God's heart, you know? Like, like no matter what, you know, tribulation, celebration, mourning, all of that, I'm always being loved by God. I'm really good at it. Um, there was a time in my life not very long ago that I didn't want anything to do with God or his love. Like, it was, like, this March, I just realized, like, God wasn't real to me. Um, 
I didn't like understand the reality of who he was. Um, and so I was actually supposed to speak at three by 10 in July, but I was like, you know, Rhonda sent out a message, like, make sure you guys prepare a message. And I was like, hmm, I don't want to put in that kind of work and effort for something I don't really believe. So I planned a road trip with my friend, so I had a good reason to bail. And it worked, so. Um, but then in June, um, God kind of had a moment with me where he, like, revealed how his, like, intervention and love has been with me, like, throughout my whole life. Um, and that was done. He revealed that to me largely through this church. Um, you know, this is, like, the place he brought me to be, like, taught and loved and equipped for his glory. Uh, and so, like, the ways that he, like, revealed his love to me were so deeply meaningful, like, as loving things are. Um, but the one thing that I feel really, like, exemplifies fairly perfectly how he, he has loved me um, is this story. It happened here in the kitchen. I think it was probably for a Wednesday night something. Um, but I was in there, and uh, someone that I, like, see more or less as like a father figure for no reason that I saw just looked at me and said no I'm proud of you and like uh, seven times out of ten I would say I cry when I think about that and it's been like years so like it's awesome I think that God spoke that directly to me and so that has stuck with me for a long time and so not only has this church equipped me it's not just shown me his love it's also like tethered me to him Um, and that's my message you know when I come here I don't think that's such good worship or that's such good preaching. I come here and I know that he's a good God. Noah told me right before this that he was going to go for the full 30 minutes. (laughs) And (laughs) I feel cheated somehow. Um, When I first think of my church, uh, I usually think of like this group of people right here in this room. Um, lately, I've been challenged as I've been reminded that the church is not just what I experience here. It's in this group of people even. It's global. It's, it's everyone. Um, it's, and it's not just my church. It's not just our church. Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen that it is his church. He was talking to Peter, and he said that on this rock, I build my church. And, th- and that's the topic that we've all been given, is my church. And I just thought it was fascinating that Jesus used those very same words. But it makes me think of it a little differently. It gives me kind of a, a bigger picture, that the church is made of people, like we know. And you, so you and I, we are the church. Um, and several times the Bible then talks about the church as the bride of Jesus, or the bride of the Lamb. That means that you and I are the bride of Christ, uh, and that's, that's what I want to talk about. Um, New Oxford American Dictionary, a.k.a. the Internet, defines a bride as a woman on her wedding day or just before and after the event. So a bride is a woman who's been pursued, she's been loved, she's been sought after. And when the Bible describes the church as Jesus' bride, so it makes me think of the time surrounding like my wedding and watching my wife and her dress come down the stairs, come down the aisle, up to me at the altar. Um, it, it, that's that's what it makes me think of. It never refers to us as like you know the the ample matronly wife of Christ, right? It's it's his bride. Um, <laughs> it's like, I didn't say that. In Jesus' day, marriages were arranged. Um, 
usually by the fathers in a family, and then a betrothal was established. And that betrothal was as binding as a marriage. Like it, it, once you're betrothed, it actually took a certificate of divorce, just like if you had already been married, if you wanted to break it off. It was a big deal. It was it required a legal contract involving a payment called a mohar. And the mohar was similar to a dowry where payment was given to the groom by, uh, by the bride's family. But in this case, the payment was given to the bride's family by the groom's family. So essentially, the, the groom had to buy his wife from her father. Um, so I feel like it's kind of obvious where I'm going with this, because Jesus obviously paid for us with his life, you know, right? He bought us from our old master, sin, um, and betrothed us to himself. But the thing is, it's not like Jesus was just a great friend trading his life for ours or giving his life for ours. I mean, it was that, and it was more, because um, I lost my place. But he did it, well, he, well because he didn't, he, he did it because, not just because he wanted to be nice to us, but because he wants us. And he didn't give his life away for nothing, because he knew he was getting us. That's where, I guess, that's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't just something he threw out there. He knew he was getting something in return, too. He expected us. He knew he was going to come back from the dead, and he expected his bride to be there waiting for him. Uh, it's because, like in this system, where where a guy is paying for his bride, he doesn't, he does, he's not going to pay the mohar for a, a woman he doesn't intend to marry. Like that's that's ridiculous. Um, but so I heard a worship leader sharing some of her story and how she had come out of a place of frustration with the people she was leading and how God had shifted the way she saw those people. Um, but sometime. Sometime later, after she'd gone through some of this process, she was leading a song, uh, a new song in a new scenario, and so she was nervous, and she had her eyes closed, and God spoke to her and said, look at my bride. And so when she opens her eyes, then she sees all the people out here, and they're all worshiping, and he says, isn't she beautiful? And I think that's how God sees us, his church, and we, we are his church, and so that, that's what my church is. It's his bride, um, the one he longs to be with and the one he longs to know intimately. So like the whole analogy of being a bride and being seen as beautiful and all of that, it kind of threw me for a while. Um, and I, I don't always think it was just because like I'm a guy and I can't wrap my head around the analogy. Um, like I think sometimes I heard people get a little weird with it where it was like, they talk about getting romantic with Jesus, which made me think of getting physical with Jesus. And I'm like, I'm out. Like, you know, not, <laughs> this doesn't resonate at all. Um, but so I was left with that question because I'm like, you know, I don't, I never wanted to be beautiful. I never wanted to see myself that way, not, not even remotely. So how do I relate to this analogy that I see all over the Bible? So, but as I've gotten married... And learned more about marriage. I've learned about the importance of intimacy and the role that plays in a marriage. So I'm going to define intimacy because I think it's important. And without a solid definition there, it is going to be weird. Because a lot of the times when people say intimate, you get intimate, they take it to mean being sexual. And it can mean that. But real intimacy is deeply knowing someone and being deeply known by them. And... Like, I may not have wanted to be beautiful, 
but I did, still don't, but I, I wanted to be chosen and I wanted to be known and I wanted to be loved. And I believe this is what Jesus really wants from our relationship with him. He wants that connection. So in a healthy relationship, a couple doesn't get married just because they want to be physical all the time. Like, that's not sustainable, and it sounds exhausting, right? <laughs> but they get married because there's an emotional connection and a spiritual connection. It's intimacy. You know, and on a, on a side note, somewhat related, I've learned that a healthy sexuality comes from intimacy in a marriage. It's not the other way around. You can't use sexuality to bring about intimacy. That doesn't, that's not how it works. And intimacy with God is not just God deeply knowing us. We know that he does. If he, if he made us in the womb and he still counts our hairs, you know, he's counting backwards for some of us. Like, he knows us pretty well. But intimacy with God is us knowing him as well. And without us making ourselves available to him, there can't be any connection. That's why David hid God's word in his heart. That's why the Bereans searched the scriptures. That's why Paul prayed in tongues more than all of you, he said. That's why Moses begged to see God's face. I think, and I think God wants to show us his face. That's why he's pursuing us, even when we stumble, even when we run. That's why the distance that we run from God is always greater than the distance back to God. Because he's pursuing us. So the question is, are we pursuing him? Like, if we're not, you know, don't be like that. Just the person who, just let somebody always pursue you and you never give it back. That's not how it works. But I'm, so I'm asking myself these questions too. Like, am I hiding God's word in my heart like David? Am I searching the scriptures like the Bereans? Am I praying in tongues like Paul? Am I seeking God's face like Moses? Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, in Matthew 22, 37. All of these are ways that we can love the Lord and pursue intimacy with him. There, like, there's no religion on that. There's no should. You know, you should do this and shouldn't do that. But these are ways. But the point is that both parties have to be pursuing each other. So when the Bible refers to the church as a bride, it's not as a romantic love interest. He's looking at us, at you, as someone that he wants to spend eternity with, continually growing in that real intimacy. And that, that eternity starts now. That's when he, he wants this to start now. So to wrap this up, I'm going to go back to one of the final events of the Hebrew marriage process. So once the couple was betrothed, the groom would usually go back to his house, which was often with his father, and prepare that place for him, his wife and himself to live after the wedding. And when, when it was ready, he would go back to the house of his betrothed and bring her to their new home. And John 14, 2 and 3 says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Like, it's another picture of this, this kind of like a marriage relationship. And he's talking to his church. He's going to prepare a place for us, just like a groom did in that day. And once he comes back for us, we'll be brought to his house where we'll live with him forever. And we know him in that much more perfect intimacy, you know, or as much as you can know an infinite being. First Corinthians thirteen twelve, I think, says speaks to this so well. It says, For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries, as though reflected in a mirror, but one day we will see face to face. 
Our understanding is incomplete now, but one day we will understand everything just as uh, everything about us has been fully understood. And I think that's a perfect description of intimacy right there. Okay, so forewarning, Ryan and Noah are very calm people. I'm not so calm. So, um, not that that's bad, just so you know. So, I'm Caitlin Gergen. Most of you guys know me. I've been here practically my whole life. I'm 17 years old. And so I'm really excited to get to share with you guys today because I'm looking out and I'm like, ah, man, this is family. It's easy. And so I prayed about what I was going to talk about when Rhonda asked me. And I didn't really have an answer for a few weeks. And when it came closer to the date, I started getting really, really nervous. I was like, okay, God, you're going to have to tell me something because I have nothing. And God's like, okay, Caitlin, here's the deal. I want you to talk about my faithfulness in your life and in the church. And I was like, okay, I can do that. But here's the deal is... A few months back, God revealed my testimony of faithfulness, and I corrected him. And I said, God, that's not how that works. Testimonies aren't faithful. You can't testify to that. He goes, Caitlin, what do you mean that's not how that works? And I said, God, testimonies are built on freedom and miracles. And he said, Caitlin, do you remember the situation where you could have taken the drugs? And I gave you the wisdom and knowledge to not do that. And you went back to the church. Do you remember that situation where you almost fell off that cliff? And by the way, I was the one who picked you back up. I was like, okay, God, I guess you've been pretty faithful to me. And with this faithfulness has come so many blessings. Let me tell you, church, when you are faithful to God and you trust in him, he will remain faithful in you and he will bless you with numerous amounts of things. And I personally, I've been blessed with a family. Not all of them are here today, which is fine. But I've been blessed with a family. I've been blessed with this amazing community of Alexandria. And I will just say, I have been blessed with an awesome church. And I love my church. I, oh my goodness, I love my church. Anyway, so, but I've seen some pretty things, pretty, pretty good things in this church. I can form a sentence. I've seen some pretty cool things. I've seen people from Sri Lanka come over here and minister into my life and ministered into other children and other adults' lives. And I have had the opportunity of ministering to other younger children and other older adults because of it. And there's something that I found in the church, and I know that a lot of you guys have found this in the church too, because we are an equipping church. I have found giftings and callings in this church. And many of you guys know about me. I have found a gifting in worship and music. And I, I love worship. It's one of my favorite things to study and read about. I love hearing about how it affects people's lives. And there's something about worship. It's my favorite thing to study. It's the purposes of worship. You see, there are, there are so many purposes of worship, to the glorification aspect of worship, all the way up to like the desperate cry. But one of my favorite, favorite purposes of worship, oh my goodness, my favorite purpose of worship, there we go, is the fact that worship is a weapon against the enemy. It's my favorite. And when I say that, I think of the story of Paul and Silas. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts 16. 
Paul and Silas were going around Rome and they were ministering to people. And there was this little girl um, who had the spirit of a python. So this, this demon would tell her the future and she'd be able to say it. And the thing about the little girl is her predictions were accurate. The community had come to know and trust this little girl. And so she followed Paul and Silas around and just ridiculed them. It says for days and days. She ridiculed them and she mocked them. And what she was saying was true. That's why the community trusted her. But she said it in a mocking tone in a mean-spirited way. And finally, after days of this, I wouldn't have put up with it for an hour, but Paul was like, okay, I am done with this. And he cast out this demon in the little girl. Glory be to God. I mean, that's amazing. But the thing about it was she was making a lot of money fortune-telling, and her owners were not very happy. And so Paul and Silas were cast out in the courtyard where they were beaten and their clothes were taken away from them. And then they were arrested and taken to jail. And if I was just beaten and my clothes were taken away and I was arrested and taken to jail, I would be that person that would be crying and I'd be super sad. It would not be a good day for me. I can't imagine it was a good day for them. But in the jail, it says in the Bible that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I think that's a wonderful decision because I... It doesn't specify in the Bible why they did this, but I have a theory about it. I think that Paul and Silas looked at their situation and said, okay, we could be victims here. We could cry. We could sit here. Or I think we should test God and say, God, you have remained faithful up until this point. What is stopping you and saying that you will not remain faithful after this point? And so they decided to worship God through the deepest, darkest moment of their lives. And because of it, the verse ends out saying, and the prisoners were listening to them. You see, church, when you worship, whether you are worshiping with 200 people or you're worshiping alone in your room, your worship will not just affect you. If you are worshiping in freedom and peace and love, whatever, that freedom and peace and love, it will be released over your families. It will be released over your workplace if you have a situation or your schools where you just don't know what to do about it. And so I want to continue on with the story. It keeps going and says there was a violent earthquake. The walls started shaking and the chains started breaking and the doors flung wide open. You see, Paul and Silas had an escape plan. I would have taken it. But for some reason in the Bible, it says that they stayed. And I have another theory. I think that they stayed because they saw this guard, who, by the way, was sleeping and was not doing his job well. And they knew that either way, this man was going to die for doing that. And so they stayed and said, okay, hang on. If God has remained faithful to us, what says that he does not want us to remain faithful to this man and possibly, maybe, increase the kingdom of God one more person. And so they stayed. And this guard woke up, and he drew his sword because he was so scared. He was about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're still here. We stayed. And this man, without a thought in his mind, brings Paul and Silas outside, drops his sword, and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
Because you see, church, when the prisoners were listening, it doesn't just mean the prisoners. It also means the man who, according to basic human standard, Paul and Silas had a right to hold unforgiveness against. But they knew God's standard and said, we forgive you. And hey, by the way, there's this man called Jesus. He loves you. And that day, the kingdom of God was increased an entire Roman family. That was a very rare occasion, by the way. And so, church, I'm not telling you this to say, like, God's been faithful in my life or Paul and Silas's. But I'm telling you because my church is living in the faithfulness of God. It is seen, I, I see it all over the place. I see it in Sri Lanka from the missions trips that we've taken there. And I've seen the churches in Sri Lanka grow. And I've heard the stories come back, the praise reports about what God is doing in that country. And I have seen one thing. My sister pointed this out yesterday. When I was a kid, I would always tell people, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I go to church for the harvest. And people would be like, what the heck is that? Like, where is that? I'm like, it's by Kmart. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, and, but now I tell people, I told someone yesterday, I'm like, yeah, I go to church for the harvest. They go, oh, that's a great church. That's so good. You see, God has remained faithful up until the point of establishing us in our community. And I believe that when we move to a new building, we will be even more established in our community. And people will look at Church for the Harvest and say, oh, God is in that place. That's a good, mm-hmm. And also, church, I want to remind you, do not forget about what God has done for you. Don't, don't forget about the faithfulness of God in your lives. Because I forgot about it. <laughs> I forgot about God's faithfulness. I said, God, that's, I can't have a testimony of faithfulness. It's not how it works. And God says, oh, Caitlin, remember what I did for you. I will continue to pour out. And I will continue to stay faithful to you guys. So my time's up. But thank you, guys. Have a good Sunday. <laughs> for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.